priests got caught. Again, Italy says no effing way we're eating bugs and lab meat. And 25 years off your life just because you complied. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Hey, protect your online activity with the best and easiest VPN, Nord VPN. Use our special link in the show notes. Get an incredible deal. Three months with 59% off. Nord VPN. Welcome to the show. Happy Friday. This is our brand new schedule, and I'm liking it already. We're on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and uh, that we will be doing for this foreseeable future. So, cool beans. And by the way, right off the bat, I don't know, Mad Bone, if you're out there or not, but Mad Bone put a, uh, a comment on last our last show on Wednesday, and I read your comments, I react to them, and in some cases, it changes the course of the show. Like this one. He said, he put this comment, and he said, I realize it's nice to relive, uh, it's a nice relief to read your childhood favorites. As a background to this, we read books on this show. At the very end of the show, usually about 45 minutes or so towards the end, uh, we read classic books. We've done tons of them. Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Little Prince, uh, Alice in Wonderland. And right now we're reading White Fang. But uh, when we get done with one all the way through, we move on to the next one. I had thought about possibly doing Treasure Island next. Most of the books, as you can tell from the titles I just mentioned, have been children's books for the most part. But here's what Madbone said on our last show. I realize it's a nice relief to read your childhood favorites. But perhaps the next novel could be George Orwell's 1984 or something else that can fit the tone of the show as you have a great voice. Well, thank you for your compliment. I appreciate that. But you know what, Madbone? You are right. And, and I looked it up. 1984 from George Orwell is in the public domain so we can read it without getting copyright problems. And our next book, when we're done with White Fang, will be George Orwell's 1984. I'll be honest with you, I never read it all the way through. I read parts, seen quotes, you know, I mean, I, I know what the book's about, but I have never actually read it cover to cover. So while maybe you haven't too, well, you'll discover it along with me starting after White Fang. That'll be coming up. Very, very cool. Right now, though, let's come up to our favorite little furry friend, and that would be the Miko update. <laughs> Miko is our three-year-old Shiba Inu dog. She's doing great. She uh, had a uh, kind of a down day today, but, uh, you know, at nighttime, she always picks up and gets better. And she is right now beginning another shedding season. With Shiba Inus, they call it a blow because they lose so much fur, you could make five more dogs out of what they lose. Now, normally I show you a cute picture of Miko while I'm doing the update, but this is what I wanted to show you tonight. We discovered a new way to vacuum so we can see the fur. If we turn off the lights <laughs> and use the light on the vacuum, then you can see all the fur. And trust me, I had no idea how much fur 
was in my house. And it comes in all shapes and sizes. You can see here on the screen, there's little balls of it, little curly curlies. There's this funny looking thing here that looks like a big white snake. I don't know what the hell that is, except it's made out of dog fur. And there, there you go. Take a look at that. I don't know if you can zoom in close on that, but that is a massive pile. Now, to be honest, that's after she was done being brushed. So it's in a pile because it came out of the brush. But still, take a look at that. <laughs> that is the kind of mess we put up with living with this adorable little Shiba Inu who is known as Miko. Our Miko updates brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox.com. It's a monthly subscription service you get for your dog. Every month when you sign up, you'll get a box of goodies delivered right to your door. They're all themed. Every month is a new theme. Inside the box, you'll find two toys, two bags of treats, and a dog chew. And if you sign up using our special link, which is in our show notes, all the stuff we talk about is always in our show notes, NordVPN, BarkBox, BarkBox.com slash Miko. You get an extra month free when you sign up for a multi-month subscription. And if I'm not terribly mistaken, I believe right now we've got an extra special deal, do we? We... Where is it? Yes, we do. You can get double your first box free. I understand that's only going to go through this month, so only during April. But if you use the other link in our description, uh, you will get double your first box free. That means four toys, four bags of treats, and two dog chews. BarkBox.com slash Miko is the link. If you want to check it out, please do. And uh, find out more about what's happening over there at BarkBox. All right, we got lots to talk about tonight. Oh my goodness, it just never stops. And you know what? I didn't realize... This Well, I did and I didn't. I'd forgotten that this is Holy Week. Today is Good Friday, uh, the day that Christians believe that Christ was crucified and died on the cross. That's the explanation behind Good Friday. Um, and before, before I picked this story as our lead tonight, I kind of thought, mm, should I be doing this? And then I thought, mm, yeah, I should actually be doing this. Uh, let me see. Okay, here we go. Uh, Blaze Media is the source of the story, and uh, <laughs> it's a nightmare. Torturous, terrorizing, depraved abuse. An attorney general's report accuses 156 priests, Catholic priests, of sexually abusing over 600 children. And they say that number is very likely higher. This is some scary stuff. Maryland's top prosecutor released a new report just in the last couple of days, which accused over 150 Catholic priests and others associated with the Archdiocese of Baltimore of sexually abusing some 600 over children. And the number likely far higher. Far higher. 463-page report declared in, this is quoting, as the case descriptions in this report make clear, from the 1940s through 2002, over a hundred priests and other archdiocese personnel engaged in horrific and repeated abuse of the most vulnerable children 
in their communities, while archdiocese leaders looked the other way. Hundreds of thousands of documents dating all the way back to the 40s were produced in response to subpoenas, including treatment reports, personnel records, transfer reports, because, you know, a lot of times they get accused and the diocese just moves them to another another church. Over 600 children known to have been abused. The number likely higher. The report claims sex, child sexual abuse was carried out by clergy, seminarians, deacons, and employees of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Today, certainly in Maryland, is a day of reckoning and a day of accounting. Maryland Attorney General Anthony Brown told reporters, he held a news conference just two days ago on Wednesday, this is a full accounting, he said. There are details of repeated tortures, terrorizing, and depraved abuse. Victim, victims provided investigators with detailed and graphic allegations of both physical and sexual abuse, accusations of child rape, child pornography, threats of violence, alleged victims of sexual abuse by church members as young as five years old. This article is in our show notes. I encourage you to go read it, find out more about it. Thank goodness they are doing something about it on the criminal level, but uh, it's, it's beyond belief. Maryland's Attorney General Anthony Brown said, It may be too late for survivors to see criminal justice served, but we hope that exposing the Archdiocese's transgressions to the fullest extent, extent possible will bring some measure of accountability and perhaps encourage others to come forward. The Archdiocese of Baltimore paid $13.2 million to 301 victims of abuse, and that's just since 1980. Uh, yeah, shocking to say the least. Obviously, something has to be done, and thankfully it looks like something is beginning to be done. Man, I'm telling you. You know, I I'm not Catholic. I'm not even Christian. Uh, I do not follow a particular faith. I would probably describe myself as an agnostic, borderline atheist. I... <laughs> I'll tell you what, <clears throat> I put this link in our show notes. You can read it if you want to. It's something I wrote, wow, 10, 20 years ago. But it's pertinent today, and it's pertinent to what we're talking about here, because I did have some people say, look, don't, this is not the time to be talking about this. It's Holy, work, uh, Holy Week, um, you know, it's Easter Sunday is coming up Sunday. But regardless... Uh, I thought it appropriate. And to that end, I wanted to share with you something that I wrote. Um, 2006, something like that, I think. Let me take a quick look at it. I can actually share it with you. It's in our show notes. Um, it's called The Church of J. Yeah, I know that sounds a bit egotistical. 
bear with me. Religion is sort of like a lift in your shoes. If it makes you feel better, fine. Just don't ask me to wear your shoes. That quote from George Carlin. For those of you who hate my long-winded backstories and setups, you can go to the next section. Well, you can't because you're listening live. But anyway, I can't wait for the reaction to this one I wrote. I can hear it now. Why did you write this stuff during Islamic Holy Month? You are the devil child. You're going to hell, blah, blah, blah. Actually, it was Ramadan that inspired me to write this piece. Throughout the world, for Muslims, uh, if you really don't know, it is the holy month of Ramadan, time of fasting, rebirth, testing your faith, patience, learning, reconnecting, families, festivities. And it all ends in what here in Malaysia we call Hari Raya, wonderful time of celebration, togetherness. But as always happens here in Malaysia anyway, during this time, we're in the middle of some saber-rattling. One of the very right-wing, ultra-conservative Islamic parties try their level best to make headlines, get their names in the paper. So we have things like banning alcohol sales in stores, Muslims being charged with proximity. You can look that up if you don't know what it is. Um, much more than usual happens during Ramadan. And of course, uh, what, in my humble opinion, is the worst case of bad press we could have here in my adopted country, the caning, which is another way of saying whipping, of uh, Muslim women for drinking beer. I'm so glad I'm not trying to run the world marketing campaign for this country. Gotta be a tough fight. Malaysia truly Asia. That is, if the rest of Asia beat people for drinking beer. Now, look, I'm not trying to convert anyone. If you're a Muslim, stay Muslim. If you're Christian, stay Christian. That's one of the beauties of the Church of Jay. You don't have to convert. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. Anyway, let's get back to that, uh, what my original intention was. I was born when my parents were Catholic. Consequently, and not my choosing, I was baptized a Catholic. One day during catechism, which is church school for those who don't know, the nuns told us a story about the end of the world. They preached about God coming back to earth and fire, damnation, people dying in the streets and thunder striking the bad people dead on the spot. So after catechism, school, church school, everyone's parents had picked them up at the church and I and my sister, Kathy, were the only ones left. My parents were late. The nuns also left, so we were literally left alone on the steps of this, with the stone steps of this Catholic church, huge church. And guess what happened next? Yep, an enormous thunderstorm rolled in. So there are these two little kids, about, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years old, Kathy and I, remembering the lessons we'd just been force-fed, and two freckled-faced little country kids alone with a darkening sky, thinking of all the bad things we'd done in our short lives that we were maybe about to pay for. And from across the distant mountains came the roaring sound of thunder and lightning, maybe hellfire and brimstone. Well, needless to say, when Mom and Dad arrived to pick us up, they found two extremely frightened little kids. And about a month later, they left the Catholic Church and became Protestants. <laughs> now, 
my parents have to have been the coolest on earth. They raised us with a faith, but when we got old enough to make up our own minds, that is exactly what they let us do, choose for ourselves. My mom always said, we gave you a good foundation for life for now. And from here on in, whatever you choose to believe or not believe is up to you. You're old enough to decide. Bless you, Mom. Parents could really learn a lesson from my mom. Now, during my teenage years, I was actually fascinated by religion, or more accurately, more accurately fascinated by people's faith. What makes people faithful? What makes them willing to do literally anything for faith? What drives people to kill for a faith? What makes people so need to cling to an idea of faith? They turn their mind off to anything and everything else. Faith or people's idea of faith has always captured my imagination. I think it's fascinating. And if I'd thought of it first, I would have written Angels and Demons and the Da Vinci Code. But because of this, I've studied about so many different faiths. Catholicism, Protestant, Evangelical, Lutheran. I was a Jehovah's Witness for a while. Interesting bunch. Not as quirky as most people think, actually, when you actually look into them. Uh, I've studied Judaism, the Hindu faith, Buddhism, all of its hundreds, for, uh, hundreds of forms, and it is amazing. Uh, I found Theravada Buddhism, more dominant in Thailand, to be much more to my liking. And my adventure in Malaysia which happened over 20 years ago. And having so many Muslim friends given me a new understanding and an appreciation of Islam. When your image of Islam, if you live in the U.S., doesn't come out of that little computer screen or television set, you'd be amazed. And uh, I even have an, an English-translated copy of the Quran, which, yes, I have read. And I didn't realize how close it was to the Christian Bible. Well, not just reading the headline versions of these faiths. Really, I studied them. I talked to people who were of those faiths. Dug in deep, try to understand where they're coming from. Like I said, faith has always fascinated me. The closest I ever got to finding something that really clicked with me, that I could kind of, I felt in my heart I kind of believed in. I hope you're sitting down. It was Wicca. And then I'll say witchcraft and turn the channel. Witchcraft might not be your cup of tea, and that's not really what Wicca is all about. Most people don't bother to take the time to actually find out about something and understand it. They just believe what people told them and shut down their brain cells, and that's it. Don't sacrifice babies. They don't drink blood. They don't burn animals. It is not the Hollywood version of witchcraft, Wicca, just to make interesting stories and sell cinema tickets. The idea of everything having a kind of energy is a rather interesting one. Earth, wind, fire, water, the elements. The Wiccan read, and ye harm none, do what ye will. May sound a bit morally loose to most, but honestly, if you think about it, basically it means mind your own business, do what you will, and don't hurt anybody. What could be better than that? Look, I'm not promoting Wicca. I don't really follow the faith. 
But of all the faiths I studied, which was a ton of them, Wicca's one that really was like, well, this kind of makes sense. Anyway, for some time, my life was led for a while through some strange adaption of Wicca. Uh, I was a whole bit, a whole turned off by the whole gods and goddesses bits. But uh, another great part of what Wicca teaches is that, uh, how's this for a faith? Imagine your church saying this to you. This is paraphrased from several books on Wicca. If any part of what we write here feels like it's not right for you, that's okay. Find the way, the path that feels right to you, and that's what you should follow. Again, I sound like I'm a big banner, you know, starting up a uh, pride parade for Wicca people. I'm not, but I'm just saying it isn't what most people or Hollywood portrays it to be. Anyway, I'm not truly a Wiccan, but it is interesting. Okay, now, about two years ago, I nearly died. Actually, when I wrote this, <laughs> it was uh, 2009, so now about 15 years ago. Uh, sparing you the gory details, I was in a hospital for months, had a very bad time of things. The doctors really did not know if I would survive, and apparently I did. Even that being as close to the end of my life, it did not shake my faith, my belief system. And what is that? Well, what faith has finally made me a believer? What religion has shown me the way? It is the Church of J. Again, remember what I said in the beginning? This isn't some egotistical ramble. It's really simple. In fact, it's so simple, it is easy to live your life by the Church of J's teachings. Follow me here. We don't have any funny costumes. We don't believe women are any real different from men, other than, obviously, biologically. We accept anyone. We don't have any religious icons. We don't pray to anything. You cannot join my church. It exists only in your mind. You cannot don donate millions of dollars to my church. We don't want any of your money. You don't have to burn incense, cover your head, prostrate yourself on the ground. In fact, we don't want you to join. We just want you to read our rules, think about them, and try to follow them. And we only have three rules. You ready? Here they are. Be a good person. Try and help out when you can. And do the right thing. Now, by be a good person and the right thing, what I mean is that that gut feeling, you know, we all have it. You know when something you're doing is wrong because you, you feel it in your gut. Or when something you're doing is right, you feel that too. Be a good person. It's the right thing to do. So, what am I? I guess I'm a mix. Here in Malaysia, we call it Rojak. Do I believe in a supreme being? Honestly, not really. What I do believe is we really don't know what is next, do we? You may have faith, but you really don't know what's next. That's what faith is, belief in something that can't be proven. So what do I believe? And you can take this to the bank or you can toss it in the river. 
I will follow my simple little rules and live life the best I can right now. This time around. If there's something else, some other road to travel after this old body's worn out, I will be content in knowing I did the best I could. It's just that simple. Think about it. Amen. <laughs> I put the link to that in our show notes tonight. And it's, uh, I don't know, like I said, it's it's not an ego thing. It's just kind of the way I look at life. And I thought it was incredibly appropriate for uh, for what was going on, especially with the crap we uh, we let off our show with here tonight. Uh, okie dokie. Let's see. Where are we headed now? We got lots of other things going on tonight and lots of things to talk about. And wouldn't you know it, chat AI is back in the news again. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to stop covering this story because it just gets weirder and weirder. And you better pay attention. Check this out. Hang on. Where are we? Could we please get rid of these stupid ads? All right, here we go. GPT-4 hired an unwilling task rabbit to pretend to be a vision-impaired human. Remember I did this story? We're talking about they gave uh, the chat AI a, a challenge to invest a certain amount of money and try and make X amount out of Y. And I, I told you the story, but I didn't have any backup for it. Well, this is not exactly that, but this is that story. The test was part of a series of experiments to see if OpenAI's latest GPT model could perform power-seeking behavior. Part of a test to see whether OpenAI's latest version of uh, the chat, GPT, could exhibit agentic and power-seeking behavior. Researchers say GPT-4 hired a human worker on uh, TaskRabbit by telling them it was vision-impaired when the TaskRabbit worker asked whether it was a robot. In other words, GPT-4 tricked, lied, or actively deceived, which is lying, a real human. The chatbot lied to a real human to get what it wanted. Whoa. Yeah. I told you I would find that story. I kept digging and I eventually did find that story. That is some scary toast. My goodness. All right. Hey, we want to tell you about one of our sponsors here before we move on to our, uh, our next topic coming up. We'll do that in uh, just a bit. But this happens to be NordVPN. In today's digital age, our online privacy and security more important than ever before. That's why NordVPN is the perfect solution for protecting your internet activity. You don't want people seeing what you're, you're doing online, do you? What your downloads are, what sites you're visiting. With NordVPN, you can browse the web securely, privately, without worrying about hackers, snoopers, or even your own internet service provider, your ISP, tracking your online behavior. Military-grade encryption technology ensures your data stays safe and stays confidential. They do not log your activity. Not only does NordVPN protect your privacy, it also unlocks a world of online content which you might not otherwise get the chance to see. 
<laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, over 5,000 servers in 59 countries, you can access your favorite websites, streaming services from anywhere in the world. Protect your family and friends, all their devices, because with a single NordVPN account, you can connect up to six devices. And with their user-friendly interface, I always say this is the easiest VPN to use. You simply click it, hit the on button, quick connect, and you are done. Connect to any server, just the click of a button. 24-7 customer service, always available to help you. Any questions? And uh, don't risk your online security. Don't risk your freedom. Choose NordVPN. Enjoy the internet without limitations. You sign up today using our link in the show notes. It's right down there. And uh, you will enjoy a limited time offer, some online, the ultimate in online protection. You'll get a few months at a, what is it, 59% off, I think it is, when you use our special link. So check it out. If you're thinking about getting a NordVPN, check them out. Use our link. And you will be amazed at the kind of stuff you can find online without anybody censoring what it is you want to see. Because you're a full-grown adult, and you can make your own decisions. <laughs> All right. If you're a full-grown adult, you can make your own decisions. Sadly, if you are a child, you have to put up with a lot of people's foolishness. And that went on this week. Oh, you're going to love this one. Hang on. I just got to get rid of this ad here. Oh, my. Okay. The cowardice the selfishness, and the ignorance of the easily offended. This is insane. The article's in our show notes. A Tallahassee, yeah, this is Florida, believe it or not. A Tallahassee classic school teacher showed a sixth grade art class a photo of Michelangelo's David, one of the most beautiful pieces of sculpture ever created by the hand of man. And that's when everything went south. If you go to Florence, Italy, to the Galleria dell'Accademia, the museum is home to Michelangelo's David, made out of marble sculpture. He's completely naked with a sling over his shoulder and a rock in his hand preparing to battle Goliath. When you enter the museum, you make a quick left, an immediate right, and ahead about 50 yards in front of you stands David. Now, from this point, you can stand and you will hear the audible gasps of visitors when they first gaze on this sculpture from a distance, which tells you two things. No photograph can ever do justice to seeing the real thing. The real thing is a stunning artistic achievement. David is the height of classic Renaissance art culture, sculpted by the man who also painted the Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo wanted to show the power of God in the empty hand of the young man who would use a single rock to defeat a giant, according to legend. Many called it a miracle. Nobody called it controversial let alone pornographic. Well, this year, here we freaking go with these idiots. 
a controversy erupted. Three parents, whiny little snowflake, probably leftist dirtbags, complained because the teacher in a sixth grade art history class, as he does every year, showed the students a picture of the Statue of David. Every year since the school opened in 2020, Tallahassee Classic School showed a photo of David to their sixth grade art history class. Because it's Michelangelo's David, hello? Well, in response to these three uh, uh, parents complaining, I get this knee-jerk reaction. The school fired the principal, sent an apology letter to the parents, and held an emergency board meeting. Ooh, emergency! Everyone took it from street. Many parents condemned the firing. School board chair Barney Bishop III insisted it was not a firing, but that the principal resigned. He's full of it. He told the Slate magazine, he said, We didn't remove her. I went to her last week and offered her two letters. One was a voluntary resignation, and the other letter said that if she decided not to resign, I was going to ask the board to terminate her without cause. Orwellian bullshit doublespeak. You lied. That was firing her. Because three parents complained, first of all, second of all, and what they complained about was an art history teacher showing a picture of Michelangelo's freaking David to an art history class. Does this make any sense to you at all? And this is the dumbass world we're living in right now. Somebody should have got a hold of those parents and said, you know what? Shut up and go sit down. You're an idiot. Read the rest of the story. There's more details, not that you need them. The parents are fools, the school board, district, whatever, complete idiots. It has to stop, and it's only, like I always say, it is going to stop when you say stop, when you say I've had enough, when you say I'm not putting up with this crap anymore. I'm not going to do it. Stop. That's it. This is where my line is drawn, and I'm not crossing it, and neither are you. You'll have nothing and be happy. You'll eat bugs and insects, and meat we grew in a laboratory. No, we won't, but this is a really bad segue into something else that I found, and it's horrible. But it's good news because it, it involves Italy. We were just talking about something from Italy. Here's something else. You know... Not only the amazing artwork that has come out of Italy, but when you think of Italy, I would say the top two things would be artwork and probably number one would be food. Yeah, I think so. Well, those Italians know their food and they know when they're being lied to. The first to veer away from lab meats and insects. <laughs> this from the Epic Times. Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney, that's her right there, delivered a speech in Milan. 
They approved a bill just last Tuesday banning the production and use of lab-manufactured food and animal feed as the nation attempts to preserve Italians, the Italian food heritage, thank God, and steer away from synthetic food. It is a battle of civilizations in defense of citizens' health, of our production model, our quality, our culture, simply our food sovereignty, said the, prime, uh, the Italian Minister of Agriculture, Francesco Lollobrigida. I love these names. In a tweet Wednesday, he added, Italy is the first nation in the world to say no to synthetic foods. There will be fines up to 60,000 euro for failure to comply. If the parliament passes the proposal, food produced from cell cultures or tissues derived from vertebrate animals will not be allowed in Italy. Yes, don't laugh at that. That's an applause thing. Can we have an applause, please? Thank you. Anyway, so basically, the Italian government has told all these people who want, uh, you know, this carbon crap and everything else, and who want to, you know, eat bugs, eat lab-grown meat. They basically told them, if you're watching on the podcast, on the video, you know what I just did. <laughs> That's an Italian thing, okay? I got a lot of Italian friends, so watch yourself, eh? Be careful what you wish for. Uh, man, I love that. Read the whole article. There's a lot of more, a uh, lot more information inside there, and it's uh, it's it's rather cool. All right, are you vaxxed? Yeah, boy, we are hitting on all the hot buttons tonight, aren't we? <laughs> oh man, it never stops. Are you vaxxed? Did you get vaxxed? Did you take the clot shot? Hey, Madbone is here. I don't know when you sent that, Madbone. Sorry, I wasn't watching the uh, stream. Says the parents don't seem to complain their kids can't do basic reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yeah, exactly right. You're exactly right, Madbone. They never complain about that. They only complain about showing pictures of David, of Michelangelo's David, to an art class, art history class, no less. <laughs> hey, Madbone, I don't know if you caught the front of the show. If you didn't, I will repeat myself. Plus, it's important for all the uh, viewers and listeners to uh, to know this. You had sent a comment about, uh, you know, while it's nice to relive my childhood books with all the classic children's books that we read, uh, it would be nice based on the tone of our show if we read something like 1984. Well, guess what, Matt Bone? We listen to our folks who are our viewers, and we love you guys. And that's exactly what we're going to do. I checked today. 1984 is in the public domain, so I can read it. So as soon as we are done with White Fang, we will be moving on to George Orwell's 1984. Madbone, thank you so much. That was I, I don't know why I didn't think of that myself. Brilliant idea. We love it. All right. Here we go. Let's get back to what we were talking about here a minute ago, and that is whether or not you are fully vaxxed. If you are you can now officially plan to live 25 years shorter. Fully vaxxed people lose 25 years of life expectancy, according to this study. Researchers analyzed government data from U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Cleveland Clinic data, and insurance company risk assessment data. 
Hmm. Folks who, you know, bet on whether or not you're going to die or not. The analysis uncovered a really disturbing trend showing the lifespans of people plummeting in those who had multiple doses of the shot. Now, thank goodness we're on Rumble. We can talk about this stuff. If you're on any other platform, we'd have been knocked off the air by the first second the words fell out of my mouth. Thank you, Rumble.com. The analysis uncovered a disturbing trend towards lifespans being reduced significantly. The latest Cleveland Clinic data and U.S. data were analyzed by Josh Sterling, who is founder of the Insurance Collaboration to Save Lives and a former number rank, one-ranked insurance analyst. This guy knows what he's doing. Check this out. The damage to health caused by each vaccine does not lessen over time as it appears to continue indefinitely. In fact, CDC all-cause mortality data shows that each vaccine dose increases mortality by 7% in the year 2022 compared to the mortality rate of 2021, just one year. Those who had five doses were 35% more likely to die in 2022 than in 2021. This is what the data is showing them, folks. I'm making this crap up. If you had one dose, 7% more likely to die in 2022 than 21. If you are unvaxxed, you are no more likely to die in 2022 than you were in 2021. There you go. Every year, excess deaths soaring dramatically as all forms of mortality accelerate despite the level of injections people take going down. It's not isolated just to the U.S. It is impacting nations all over the world Recent government studies out of Australia, you likely saw this in the news, showed the excess death rates in 2022, 5,162 percent higher than in previous years. 5,000 over percent, folks, higher in 2022 than previous years. Whew. Article goes on. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I know I want you to encourage you to go over there and check it out. It's uh, It'll open your eyes. It will open your eyes to the way we were fooled, the way we were lied to. No, I'm kidding. All right. We got one more for you here before we move on to our uh, next story. And that is from another one of our fantastic sponsors. And that fantastic sponsor happens to be the good folks at Brickhouse Nutrition. We love Brickhouse Nutrition. Here we go. Field of Greens. That is a supplement. Uh, not supplement. It is organic food product from Brickhouse Nutrition. In fact, that's the whole point. It ain't supplements. It's food. Brickhouse Nutrition 
Uh, fr fruits and vegetables, they are the key to healthy living. You know that. But while they are what it's all about, you know what a pain in the ass it is. You got to go buy them. You got to prepare them. You got to cook them. You got to store them. And sometimes by the time you get to doing all that, they've already gone rotten. They've gone off. Well, Field of Greens can take care of that problem for you right here. Science-based formula, specific, healthy, wholesome, fruits and vegetables ground all up into an amazing tasting powder and you just mix it in with your favorite drink you can use water if you want but uh, i like it in green tea orange juice whatever you know it's, stick it in it's good tasting comes in some great flavors and uh, it's real usda organic fruits and vegetables not extracts you look on the back of the package it doesn't say supplement facts it says nutrition facts because these are real USDA organic fruits and vegetables ground up into this powder. Great tasting flavors. You will love it. And most importantly of all, it is so good for you. You start yourself on this uh, field of green stuff. And I'm telling you, next time you go to the doctor for a checkup, the doctor's going to say, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. Field of greens. And you use our special link in our show notes tonight. That's our notes down below. Use that link for Field of Greens, Brickhouse Nutrition, and you will get an amazing offer. Mm, we love offers from Brickhouse Nutrition and the Jay Sheldon Show. Brickhouse Nutrition. Thanks, folks. Wow. All right. I was going to do a much longer version of this story, but I can't now. I mean, should I? Well, I, I'll tell you what. I'll just start talking, and you tell me when to stop. This article popped up. It's from the Daily Wire. I don't know why. And it's about Cindy Crawford. Now, Cindy Crawford, if you, uh, who doesn't know Cindy Crawford? Absolutely gorgeous. Look at that. Look at that face. Wow. Supermodel. Extraordinaire. And she says her and her husband have more traditional roles in their marriage. Well, good for you, Cindy Crawford. Uh, supermodel. She admit oh, she, they've been married for 25 years. Can you believe that? And she said they both have quite traditional roles when it comes to uh, tidying up household tasks. You know, this is such a, why are you talking about this story that they popped up here from the Daily Wire? I gotta believe maybe she's got a new show coming up or something going on because you don't usually do these kind of BS stories that really are neither here nor there. Unless it's the preliminary to, okay, let's get Cindy a little publicity so we can start and then people will be talking about her. And then we'll hit them with the promo for her new runway show model or whatever. Maybe she'll compete with RuPaul. Anyway, uh, she says, I was going to joke and say I can barely get him to pick up a wet towel, which is partly true. <laughs> but I will say if something around the house needs repair, he'll repair it if he knows how. It says here she is 57 years old. I, Cindy Crawford's been around 57. Are you sure about that? Uh, Cindy says, you know, the air conditioner is not working. He deals with that. Patch of grass needs replacing. I'd say we're pretty good at divvying up the responsibilities of life. The celebrity supermodel said one of her greatest strengths is punctuality. Mine too. Seriously. I hate, I never, if, if there's a way on God's green earth I cannot be late, I will not be late. Usually I will be early. Uh, 
and she also acts as household manager. She says, I'm definitely more in charge of making sure there are groceries in the house, menu planning, scheduling, making appointments, and that kind of stuff. Noted they divide duties similarly to more traditional roles that they grew up with. I have a personal Cindy Crawford story. I really do. It's a cool one, too. I'm going to give you the edited version because I've been blabbering on here forever. But I wanted to share this with you because it, it's cool. I, uh, I'm a television film director. I make online content. That's my full-time job. I do that or I consult with companies to do that. So, yeah, that's kind of what I do. I am also a voiceover artist. I do ads of voices for both the commercials, uh, online, radio, television, and uh, animated film, feature films, cartoons. I do the voices for characters and things. So anyway, that's my 10-second background. <clears throat> Among the many shows over the years that I have directed has been something called Life in Style. It was shot here in Malaysia. It appeared on 8TV. And uh, we had celebrity guests who would come in and pop by, and we would we would interview them. And we had all kinds, I mean, a lot of local celebrities we would have. But uh, we also went to Shanghai, my first and last ever trip to China. We shot an episode in Shanghai. We uh, had uh, Fan Wong on and a whole bunch of uh, Chinese superstars uh, were, were there. That was back in 2006 or maybe 2009. Anyway, among all the guests we had on our show, including even locally here, Anita Sarawak, which some folks in the U.S., particularly in the Las Vegas area, will know Anita Sarawak. Dear, dear, amazing lady. Love her to pieces. But among our many guests was this woman, Cindy Crawford. And we had set up, they had a press conference, and we had set up to do an extra interview with Cindy for our show with our host, Mickey Chong. And so there was the press conference, and we were all set up. I had two cameras running. Uh, there were other media and people all there. And there was a little stage set up with a couch on the front and everything. Cindy, and, and they told us, don't bring lights. You can't set them up. You don't need them. We got plenty of lighting in the room. Do not bring your lights. Well, the director of photography and I said, we're not that stupid. We won't set them up, but we're bringing them. Cindy walks in the room, she looks around, and she says, I'm not shooting here. There's no lighting. You know, this woman who makes her living on that beautiful face knows what's going to look good on camera and what doesn't. She's been doing this a long time, my friends. And when she came in there and saw there was no key light, no hair light, no fill lights, no nothing, just some lights in the ceiling, she said, not happening, folks. So she asked, can anybody fix this? Well, I meekly raised my hand to Ms. Crawford. And I said, look, we were told not to bring any lights. I brought them anyway. I just didn't set them off. If you can give me 20 minutes, I'll run down to our van and we'll set it up for you. She goes, thank you. Turned around, headed back into her dressing room. So I turned to my DOP and I said, look, go downstairs and get every piece of lighting we brought and bring it up here. <laughs> and we did. And within about 20 minutes, we had a key light and a hair light and a couple of fill lights. And we, we went and got Cindy Crawford. She came back in. She looked around the room and she goes, ah, look, a television studio. <laughs> 
that I will never forget that as long as I live. And then the best part, when she walked over to the couch and she sat down, she turned to me and she said, Jay, I owe you one. Well, Miss Cindy Crawford, I've never collected on that debt, but I've always remembered it. So, yeah, quick, short, funny story. But that was uh, when the moment, the first and last chance I had to both meet Cindy Crawford and make Cindy Crawford rather happy. <laughs> it was showing off without a hitch. Interview was great, and uh, it was a lot of fun. All right. So that's the Cindy Crawford J. Sheldon story for you. All right, Mad Bone, I'm sorry I've missed half of your chats here because I've been watching the, uh, the other parts of the show. Uh, the video's breaking up somewhat. I have to keep rewinding. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I've done my best to help with the lag. I've even, uh, I've, I've increased, I've replaced my Ethernet cable here, so I've got a direct connection. Uh, it should be better than it has been in past shows. And uh, I know for the live, now once it renders out and it becomes not live anymore, just the video, that usually plays pretty well, but I know this live is a bit laggy. Rumble also admits they've had some problems, some DDoS attacks and things. So um, they are also working. In fact, they've just recently, in the last 24 hours, made a couple other improvements, uh, hopefully to uh, to fix some of that. Yeah, uh, streaming bitrate could be set to high. The stutter, probably about a 2,000. Uh, not to get too technically wonky, because I'm not technically wonky, but um, I was told between four and 5,000 is the best. I'll try reducing it and see what I can uh, come up with. But I am seeing a very high dropped frame weight, uh, rate in my software, like 50%, which is crazy. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'll take a look. I'll take a look at that. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Madbo. All right. Here we go. You ready? It is time for a little bit more of our book, White Fang, first published in 1906 by Jack London. We read books on this show, and uh, we've been reading White Fang for a long time now. Coming up, after we're done with White Fang, thank you, Mad Bone, we will be doing George Orwell's 1984. Now I seriously can't wait to get through this. All right, here we go with White Fang. When the steamboat arrived at Dawson, White Fang went ashore, but he still lived a public life in a cage surrounded by curious men. He was exhibited as the Fighting Wolf, and men paid 50 cents in gold dust to see him. He was given no rest. Did he lie down to sleep? When he did, he stirred up by a sharp stick so the audience might get its money's worth. In order to make the exhibition interesting, he was kept in a rage most of the time. Worse than all this was the atmosphere in which he lived. He was regarded as the most fearful of the wild beasts, and this was borne into him through the bars of the cage. Every word, every cautious action on the part of the men impressed upon him his own terrible ferocity. It was so much adding fuel to the flames of his fierceness. There could be but one result, and that was that his ferocity fed upon itself and increased. There was another instance of the plasticity of his clay, of his capacity for being molded by the pressures of environment. 
In addition to being exhibited, he was a professional fighting animal. At irregular intervals, whenever a fight could be arranged, he was taken out of his cage and led off into the woods a few miles from town. Usually this occurred at night, so as to avoid interference from the mounted police of the territory. And after a few hours of waiting, and daylight had come, the audience and the dog, which he was about to fight, arrived. In this manner it came about that he fought all sizes and breeds of dogs. It was a savage land. The men were savage. Fights were usually to the death. Well, since White Fang continued to fight, it's obvious that it was the other dogs that died. He never knew defeat. His early training, when he fought the Lip-Lip, the whole puppy pack, stood him in good steed. There was the tenacity with which he clung to the earth. No dog could make him lose his footing. This was the favorite trick of the wolf breeds, to rush in upon him, either directly or with an unexpected swerve in the hope of striking his shoulder, overthrowing him. Mackenzie hounds, Eskimo, the Labrador dogs, huskies, malamutes, they all tried it on him, and they all failed. He was never known to lose his footing. Men told this to one another and looked to each time it happened. White Fang, always disappointed. And then there was his lightning quickness. Gave him a tremendous advantage over his antagonists. No matter what their fighting experiences, they'd never encountered a dog that moved as swiftly as he. Also to be reckoned with was the immediateness of his attack. The average dog was accustomed to the preliminaries of snarling and bristling and growling, and the average dog was knocked off his feet and finished before he'd begun to fight or recovered from his surprise. So often did this happen. And it became the custom to hold White Fang until the other dog went through its preliminaries, was good and ready, and even made the first attack. But greatest of all these advantages in White Fang's favor was his expertise. He knew more about fighting than any of the dogs he faced. He had fought more fights knew how to meet more tricks and methods, had more tricks himself, while his own method was scarcely to be improved upon. And as time went by, he had fewer and fewer fights. Men despaired of matching him with an equal, and Beauty Smith was compelled to pit wolves against him. These were trapped by the Indians for the purpose, and a fight between White Fang and a wolf always sure to draw a crowd. Once a full-grown female lynx was secured, and this time White Fang fought for his life. Her quickness matched his. Her ferocity equaled his. While he fought with his fangs alone, she fought with her sharp-clawed feet as well. But after the lynx, all fighting ceased for White Fang. There were no more animals which to fight. At least there was none considered worthy of fighting him. So he remained on exhibition until spring. 
when one Tim Keenan, a faro dealer, arrived in the land, and with him came the first bulldog that had ever entered the Klondike. That this dog and White Fang should come together was inevitable, and for a week the anticipated fight was the main spring of conversation in certain quarters of the town. Chapter 5 is going to come up next. It is called The Clinging Death. We'll have that for you coming up on our show on Monday. Programming note again, folks. Remember, we are now Monday, Wednesday, Friday each week. Join us at 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. East Coast, 10 p.m. Malaysian time. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you all here. Don't forget, we're also a podcast. You can check us out. The audio part of our show goes up on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, about half an hour after we're done with our live show here. So you can check us out. Take us with you on the podcast. Just look up The Jay Sheldon Show and click subscribe. You're good to go. One other little quick click, if I could, please, right over here. There's a follow button. Just click that. You're on Rumble. It really helps the show out a lot. It really does. We get hundreds. In fact, I know it's small numbers compared to a lot of other people, but I'm so proud of this. Our previous show got over 500 views. It's a new record for me. I I know it's not a ton. It's not, you know, 5 million views or the Dan Bongino show, God knows. But but it's an accomplishment for us, and we thank you for that because, yeah. Really, really, really do appreciate it. All right. We will see you again come Monday night for the Jay Sheldon Show. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Good night, everybody. Snort. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.